Hello again, Paul. Come into the office. Um, Paul, it's it's good to see you again. Uh, I have to ask, though, the sunglasses. Why is the sunglasses inside my office? Oh, Dr. Harmful Sunlight. Yeah, it's it, I, it was so dark recently, and my eyes adjusted to it. Uh, you know, I was just in the dark all the time, and, you know, and then, you know, I got used to it because it was so dark, and now... It just seems so bright. It's so bright. I can't. I can't switch it off. So I'm wearing the sunglasses. I'm trying to stay indoors. I'm wearing this hoodie, as you can see. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was my next question. Uh, so yeah, you look oh, oh, okay. Right. Oh, it's gonna be a doozy this week, isn't it? Do you mind if we turn off the lights? Sorry. OCD, the DC Events podcast, where we're looking at every single DC event from Crisis on Infinite Earths in 1985, all the way up to wherever we get to when we decide to stop, and where DC decides to stop, which will be never, I bet. Uh, but anyway, uh, we have come to the year what, 2008 to 2010, I believe, which is uh, covering well, this little thing called Brightest Day, which spun out of Blackest Night, and... Uh, yeah, a lot of people involved with this, uh, but chiefly Jeff Johns and Peter Tomasi. Uh, they wrote the, was it 24 issue? 25 issues of the miniseries, I believe. And, well, you can't call that a miniseries, can you? And I'm joined by, I'm going to introduce this person now, Chad Bokelman from the Lantern Cast. How are you, Chad? I'm good. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, sorry. I keep saying things where you could chime in, but I haven't introduced you, so pe- people don't know you're here. So, um, yeah, have at it. <laughs> and, and now they know I'm here, and they're automatically turning off the show. <laughs> oh, garbage. Shag. Shag, at least. did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, brightest day. Uh, fantastic series and uh i mean i guess it's only fitting that since this year's jlma was <laughs> black as night i might as well uh be here for the wrap-up in some regard with brightest day <laughs> yeah and congratulations on uh jlma putting it together this year and uh yeah a really big one. Oh, thanks uh i do not envy uh you guys uh what you did prior years and and all that and i don't envy whoever's got the reins next year uh <laughs> i know we're probably over at the lantern cast bowing out just to kind of reset it will be green lantern's uh, 80th anniversary next year so do some things and kind of focus on our own show and figure out where, what we're going to do with it and where we're going to go and what our goals are and all that good stuff so yeah but anyway a brightest day so it has a lot of uh pieces so there's as i said there's a 25 issue main story in brightest day um there was uh 24 issues of j uh, justice league generation lost 
which was um, sort of the more serious return of the Wahaha uh, League, or those members who were still alive or could substitute. Um, there were 12 issues of Green Arrow, a few issues of Birds of Prey. Hey, Green Lantern's there, so what's that, about six issues or something? And mm-hmm. Green Lantern Corps, Green Lantern Emerald Warriors, a brand new series that started. There was some uh, Flash with the return of Barry Allen now as the main Barry Allen. Um, there was an Adam special. <laughs> there was some really stupid and bad stuff with the Titans, which started in a special called Villains for Hire, which we uh, no one enjoyed. And, uh, yeah, Titans, Justice League, uh, Justice Society. And then there was this thing called The Brightest Day Aftermath, The Search for Spoiler. Um, so we won't get into that. But, yeah, uh, by my count, uh, what's that, 122 issues of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is one massive thing. Uh, for the record out there, we're just talking mainly about the main series, though. Yeah. Uh, but obviously the, the tie-ins have their have their place, and we'll probably touch on those. But uh, yeah, this, this stack of 25 issues <laughs> in my hand is enough. <laughs> <laughs> so it had art by Ivan Rice, uh, Fernando Passerin, Patrick Gleason, David Finch, Scott Williams, Gary Frank, and a whole bunch of other people, and a whole creative team, and, you know, as you imagine, 25 issues, and it changed a lot of people coming in and out with art. Um, but, you know, Chad, do you want to give us a, a brief rundown of what it's about? Yeah, so following the end of Blackest Night, you have 12 resurrected heroes and or villains from the DC Universe. Uh, the main Brightest Day story, uh, in terms of the actual main series focuses on Martian Manhunter, Aquaman, Deadman, Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Firestorm, uh, and uh, Hawk and Dove uh, to some extent as well. Um, Everybody else kind of appears in their own tie-ins in terms of Reverse Flash, Captain Boomerang, Jade, uh, Osiris, uh, Maxwell Lord, so on and so forth. Um, But uh, basically we follow those main characters as... All 12 of them, uh, in some regard, throughout the entirety of the event, not just in the main series, they have a goal to do. And they are supposed to help the entity live. Within Blackest Night, there was a the, the being of life called the entity. Um, and at the end of that, it coalesced itself into a lantern. And Deadman is the only one who was resurrected who still has a white ring. Turns out these people aren't yet truly alive. They're sort of in this way station place where they have to earn their living back, uh, justify their their life. And, and in some regard, their goals are essentially to help dead man in some way, shape or form, find the next protector of life. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, Hawk and uh, Hawkman and Hawk Girl do this through. Uh, discovering a link into Hawk World. There's a sort of two bridges uh, between Earth and Hawk World and um, Thanagar, uh, and there's a whole thing with Hasset and Hawk Girl's mother and all that. Uh, John Jones goes back to Mars, uh, tries to restore life, then gets sidetracked by the discovery of another green Martian who's insane. Uh, Aquaman and Mera uh, have some tumultuous stuff go on. They have to find Black Manta's son, um, before Mara's people from Zebeldu, uh, and uh, this is Kaldor, um, the new Aqualad. Um, Firestorm is now Ronnie, Ru- uh, Ronnie Raymond and Jason Rush merged together. Uh, the Firestorm Matrix is corrupted and has uh, some Black Lantern leftover uh, within it, uh, which coalesces into the form of Deathstorm. 
Um, and there's a whole anti-monitor bit involved and uh, the destruction of the universe and <laughs> all that good stuff. Uh, and, of course, we follow Deadman throughout all of this as he tries to find uh, his replacement, the person who's going to be bearing the white ring afterwards. And he thinks it should be A, B, C, D. He tries Batman. He tries a couple of different things. Tries some cheeseburgers, takes his grandfather out for a motorcycle ride, uh, <laughs> really discovering what life is. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's all in the service of trying to find essentially the replacement for the entity or the next protector of life itself. Yeah. Oh, excellent job there. So when you, uh, think of this one and you read it, what are the things that you like? What, I mean, what's the best bit of it? What, which stood out to you, Chad? Uh, in terms of the stories, me personally, and, and it could just be my own bias in terms of favorite characters in the DCU, I really like the Dead Man and Firestorm stuff. Um, uh, Dead Man uh, has always been a, a long time one of my favorites. I just like seeing him live. I like seeing him struggle. Um, I like seeing, uh, you know, him sort of deal with, and, you know, on almost any story you, you read of him, he's always flashing back to how selfish and self-involved he was, uh, and seeing him, um, still struggle with that in a way here and, and learn how to live again. And, um, you know, the, the interactions that we, he has particularly, particularly with Don Granger Dove, um, was pretty cool. I mean, even for as, as stupid as it is to, you know, whomever to sit there and think of the White Lantern telling him to eat a cheeseburger, um, that it, I thought it was those sorts of moments were kind of cool where he would reconnect with his grandfather, who he finds out is still alive, where he has these nice moments with Dove, um, where he, you know, is there's a moment where he's in Gotham and he thinks Batman's supposed to be uh the protector of life so he you know he's like oh man i actually haven't done this since i've come back to life and he starts leaping across rooftops and doing acrobatics and stuff and he really takes some joy in that the stuff with firestorm is fantastic just because i mean it's firestorm it was cool to see that i really actually like the art in that uh, in that particular part of the story I think it was all fantastic. My favorite part of this, uh, and, and obviously we'll get to it when we get to the scoring, my favorite part of all this is honestly the art. Uh, I think the art, both covers and interiors, for the most part, is pretty fantastic throughout the whole thing. My least favorite art is probably the stuff involving uh, Martian Manhunter, and even that is not bad. It's pretty fantastic. Uh, so I don't. I, it's not like I can fault it for any reason in that regard. Um, it's more gruesome than you know badly drawn. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I, I, I don't know, man. I, I really enjoyed it. I think the, I think it sort of for me fizzles out a little towards the end. Um, just because of the direction they chose to go with it, um, it wasn't something of personal interest to me. Almost felt a little bit lackluster on my own for my own uh, edification. But you know, this is this during the height of when I'm reading Green Lantern. I started reading comics in general just regularly with a Final Crisis, Rage of the Red Lanterns one-shot special, which is oh, wow. post Sinestro Corps War and starting the road to Blackest Night. So we are knee deep in in my you know, immersion into the comics, uh, industry. So brightest day is, is right, right along with that. So I'm following the entire series, including the green lantern, the green lantern core and the green lantern emerald warriors, uh, tie-ins, the other stuff, 
Uh, I think I really, I think I might have missed out on Generation Lost, and by might have missed out, I mean I, I definitely didn't read it, but uh, I, I did hear some good things about it. Some people did like it, uh, but because I was so new into the comic book world at that time, the people I knew at the time who talk about the Bwahaha League consider it considered it very campy and really not worth your time. So when when someone tells you uh, in that vein that the Generation Lost story is following those characters and is and is um, sort of a follow up to that series, it's just like, oh, okay, well, people already told me not to read that, so I have no interest in the follow up. So I just focused on. Wow, who are these people? Can we hunt them down? <laughs> uh, no, you know, obviously with Shag's show, I've I've uh, I've followed along and, <laughs> and gained an appreciation for the the Bwahaha League, and if if not a, a deep abiding. Uh, continuous downturn of my passion for shag <laughs> no, just, just kidding uh but uh no it's it i really i really do enjoy it what, what did you enjoy about this yeah for me that i think the biggest deal i mean, <laughs> surprisingly enough i really like the uh, justice league generation lost series um that was the best written part of this and the most i, I thought it had the best story in the in that it was um, very, very focused on... I mean, for those of you who, uh, you know, the Boahaha League were put together by Maxwell Lord, and then uh, in the lead-up to uh, Infinite Crisis, it was revealed that Maxwell Lord was pretty much a villain and um, killed Blue Beetle. And this was Blue Beetle's friends coming together to stop him. He was resurrected, um, and he uh, part of his shtick was he can use his mind-control powers to control people, and um, he does it on a sort of worldwide scale so everyone forgets about him except for the uh, five people who were in proximity to him at the time which is uh, the original members of the Justice League who were alive so Booster Cold and uh, Fire and Ice and Captain Adam and uh, the new Blue Beetle gets involved etc um, and that is a really really good story really well focused um, and you know terrifically plotted so you know very satisfying and has real stakes because the entire world can't remember uh, Maxwell Lord and they're trying to stop him and he keeps framing them for things and you know everyone thinks that Blue Beetle committed suicide which is just horrifies Booster Gold so yeah it's um it's a much more sort of serious story than uh, the Justice League you know the series that they spun out of originally but uh, it's really built on it, the history that the characters have and the loyalty and the fact that, you know, they are the underdogs and now they're, you know, in a real spot of bother and uh, have to come together. So that's one of my favourite parts of it, so yeah, interestingly enough. But the series itself, it, yeah, it is kind of rambly, isn't it? it you know, it, it feels put together a bit like 52, but it doesn't seem to have the cohesion. Um, and you're right about the Dead Man stuff. I think that is the really the best part of... Uh, brightest day and uh, firestorm stuff is very strong but some of the rest of it it's kind of like um you know we've got these characters we've got to give them something to do and we're not sure what it is so you know we'll just throw something in there and it didn't really feel um organically constructed you know i love the way 52 all comes together and i never felt like uh, brightest day did the same thing no um the stuff that happened specifically to Aquaman, Firestorm, Martian Manhunter, and uh, Hawkman and Hawkgirl at the end is almost too rushed. Uh, it's it's uh, it kind of just happens, snap, 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 and then you've got the last two issues, uh, two or three issues of the series where you see what happened to them and what their role is in all of this, and it seems like they have this sort of uh, ethereal cosmic awareness of their situation and. Uh, 
what happens to Hawk Girl at the end of this? And and honestly, the the thread that the the big thread I feel like is that is dropped, and I don't mean to just suddenly steer us off into into the negative, but um, does I, and I get that they had those Legends of Tomorrow backups um, or or stories uh, uh, in that anthology series. Yeah. Um, but um, I feel like the Firestorm thread was dropped. I mean, you get this big bombshell. Um, that it's not just, uh, it, it's not just a, a nuclear power or whatever, but Professor Stein is under the impression that he, that the Firestorm Matrix is, was a, captured the spark of the Big Bang. And that if these two don't get along together and don't, um, you know, don't, don't harness this right, that uh, essentially they could be the most powerful being in all of creation that could end and subsequently, I guess, restart the universe. Um, and then you end this whole series, uh, and I don't want to give away the end of the actual series, but specifically with the Firestorm portion of it, with there being this ticking clock that in 90 days, Firestorm's going to explode. Yep. And given everything else that's happened in this series with Firestorm, the revelations about the power, the fact that it, you know, the the theory that it's a spark of the Big Bang and everything, and, and this threat that's been looming in the sheer size and, and scope of their potential power, it just sort of ended uh and honestly brightest day as a whole just sort of ended given how fast the new flashpoint in the new 52 happened after this yeah let's get into that because i was reading uh, brightest day in collections as it came out and when i remember when by the time the third collection came out flashpoint was in full swing and all the rumors about the uh you know restarting the dc universe were in effect and it's funny that Firestorm is counting down 90 days till the end of, until he blows up, because the DC universe ended before he did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we have Flashpoint, which sort of relaunches as the new 52, and then, you know, some of these things sort of trickle through, and it, but it's, it's more a flavour of, um, some of the brightest day Aquaman rather than the direct, um, events. So, um, Aquaman series relaunches, but there's no sign of, um, the new Aqualad Jackson, um, Hawk and Dove get a series, and Deadman's sort of hanging out with um, Dove a bit, and there's the relationship is uh, continued on. But yeah, it, it's really strange, because, you know, usually events, they set things up and you get new books that come out of them, uh, but there was a real sort of break and then, you know, a reset, and then some of the stuff sort of continued, but it, it wasn't really directly connected. Like, uh, the new Hawkman series didn't have Hawk Girl in it, but uh, it wasn't really tied back to, to this run at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you really hit the nail on the head. So it's, I mean, obviously the only two properties, uh, post new 52, uh, flashpoint and all that, that weren't really touched continuity wise were for the most part, the Batman franchise and the Green Lantern franchise, since they were their most successful cash cows. And uh, me personally, as much as I loved Jeff Johns' direction of things in the Lantern series. If you're going to reset a universe, you better reset the universe. Don't just yeah. don't just come up with a, oh these are making money, we better not touch them, uh, sort of a thing. Yeah. Uh, give Jeff Johns a challenge. Um, but um, so the Aquaman series is the big thing that came out of it. And as much as you would want to say, like even though it does sort of continue the story of of uh, uh, Boston and Dawn's relationship uh, in in the Hawk and Dove series. It's still a Hawk and Dove series, and I'm not <laughs> trying to I'm, I'm not trying to be uh, derogatory here, but like uh, nobody cares about Hawk and Dove in the grand scheme of things. Hey, 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 hey! <laughs> I, I care about Hawk and Dove, but I didn't care about that series. So there you go. <laughs> 
Uh, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad earlier you had mentioned that you, you had read and were really passionate about generation loss. Cause I do feel like that was something I missed out on. Um, the other stuff outside of it, uh, the green lantern stuff, obviously we'll, we'll get to, because there's more to, there's more, at least for me personally to talk about here. And in, in terms of the lasting effects, um, there, but like you, there your other things like green arrow, uh, birds of prey, flash, the Titan special, uh, you could even say the JSA and JLA stuff. Uh, none of those really had lasting. I mean, I, the Birds of Prey one, I'm not even sure why we call it a Brightest Day thing, because basically everything relevant involving Hawk and Dove happens in this main series yeah. and not Birds of Prey. Um, and Green Arrow is more of a situational thing, him just being in that forest. Yeah. Uh, in Star City. Um, you, it's more of a follow up to Cry for Justice than anything. And, uh, Flash, I mean, so just, just to sort of, uh, encapsulate it really fast. Reverse Flash is brought back because his whole uh, mission was to bring Barry Allen out of the Speed Force. Um, Osiris is there to bring his sister Isis back. Uh, Maxwell Lord is, he- is here to help prevent the events that are going to lead to the events of Kingdom Come. Uh, Jade is to help, is here, uh, Jenny Lynn Hayden, Alan Scott's daughter, is here to help balance the darkness within her own brother. Um, Firestorm is here to help sort of protect the lantern and get rid of the remaining, uh, black lanterns and the threat of the anti-monitor. Uh, <laughs> Hawk is here to catch a, a, uh, to help protect Dawn, uh, from a, a threat that's gonna be imposed on her life. Uh, which I'll get to last. Uh, uh, Martian, Martian Manhunter is is here to uh, essentially what his what it boils down to is to really restore his passion and uh, focus on Earth. Uh, he fights for life and he fights uh, for the protection of Earth and and all this stuff. And at the end of it all, he chooses Earth, and that's that's the big focus point. He has to choose Earth. Um, the Hawks are here to help. Uh, you know, uh, stop this war, uh, and, and, uh, Hawk Girl has to fight her, her mother, uh, who is Queen, uh, Shrike or whatever on Hawk World. Um, Aquaman is supposed to, uh, hunt down, um, the new Aqualad, Kaldor, because he's the, essentially the, the key to unlocking and, or locking the Zebel dimension. The dead man is of course supposed to find his, um, his replacement essentially. And for whatever reason, and even if you read flash, I don't, I don't know. Captain boomerang is here to throw a boomerang. (laughs) Yeah. Top cast. (laughs) His whole goal, his whole goal is to throw a boomerang at Don Granger Hawk's purpose is to catch the boomerang. Yeah. When you when you talk about okay, so like Osiris bringing Isis back because of how the series ends, and, and do we want to say what what the actual ending of this is? I think now? we have to. I think we have to because I mean one of the things this is all leading to is the new champion. What are you? What's the champion of? Anyway, it's the champion of life who is um, Swamp Thing, and basically it's Swamp Thing's triumphant return from being in vertigo for so long. Uh, and so there's a, a mini series straight after this called The Search for Swamp Thing, um, 
which I was just so done with by then. And interestingly enough, that isn't available on Comixology or anywhere. <laughs> it's just <laughs> one of those things that they've just completely forgotten about. So. Well, I mean, I mean, I think I think like issue three or whatever was on stands, or issue two or three was on stands while Flashpoint was happening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like, it was just like, there's no point. But um, Yeah, it's showing up to a fancy dress party way after the party ended, you know? Yeah, exactly. So... This whole this whole thing is happening. Swamp Thing, he's going to be the an Alec Holland. Let's also say uh, mm. we're returning to that. We're bringing Alec Holland uh, back to life to choose life and choose Swamp Thing and fight for the world. Uh, but he's supposed to fight off the darkness. So like Osiris is bringing Isis back so that Isis can help Swamp Thing. That never actually happens. Um, at least in the main series, uh, if you see it elsewhere, uh, that wasn't not, that was neither here nor there for me, and it doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Um, uh, having uh, Aquaman find Kaldor to help stop, uh, you know, and shut down the Zebel dimension. That way, there's less darkness in the world. Uh, same thing uh, with uh, Martian Manhunter choosing Earth um, to to choose to fight for life on that planet. Uh, the Hawks shutting down um, the connection uh, between Hawk World and and Thanagar in Earth to help cut that off. Uh, Jenny Lynn Hayden uh, helping restore the balance in Obsidian so that he doesn't become an agent for... Essentially what had happened was that there's this leftover piece of Swamp Thing, I guess, on Earth that had the same way that the, the Swamp... What was always the thing? It was a monster that thinks it's a man or a man that thinks it's a monster. Yeah. That, that was always the dichotomy, uh, depending on who was writing Swamp Thing. And in this case... That swamp thing that had thought itself a man had also then, because of the results of Blackest Night, imprinted itself as the identity of Necron, like the sort of the leftover death on the planet. So if Jenny didn't help balance the darkness in Obsidian, his darkness could have helped fuel and make this Necron slash swamp thing creature be almost unstoppable. So you can see in a way how all these sort of goals help line up to help usher in this new protector of life swamp thing. But some of them just don't make sense. Like captain boomerang, like, mm. like, like Hawk. Um, so, yeah, they ran out of goals and they made, made a few up just to fill out the, the list. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Anyway, we might play your promo and then we'll come back and, uh, have a little chat about what, uh, how the scoring rolls out. Yeah, sure. To tell you the story of Green Lantern is to tell you the story of the birth of a universe. The origins of DC as a whole. It's a magic emerald meteor from space in the 1940s. It's the establishment of the JSA. It's the birth of the Silver Age. It's the introduction of a universal police force. It's the formation of the JLA. It's the emergence of the multiverse. It's a crisis in both space and time. It's an emerald dawn. And it's an emerald twilight. It's the brightest day. And the blackest night. And the Lantern cast covers all of this and everything in between. We're Green Lantern's greatest advocates and fiercest critics. We've been fans for years, and it's the reason we're self-proclaimed Lanternologists. So find us on iTunes and Stitcher and give us a listen. Because the history of Green Lantern really is the history of the DC Universe. And we've got the interviews, commentaries, reviews, and more to back it up. Now it's the part of the show where we score this uh, event. So, uh, firstly, let's talk about the eventiness. Now, I don't think it's particularly eventy. I mean, I think it, the, 
it suffers because it comes straight after um, Blackest Night, and Blackest Night was, you know, a terrific story with enormous scope, and this is, you know, it's it just feels a little bit arbitrary about who it focuses on and why, you know, and Chad's done an excellent job of outlining who was doing what and what the reasons were, um, but it just doesn't feel, you know, like, it, they go to the uh, see the anti-monitor and it just feels like just because. It doesn't feel very, um, you know, a very good justification. And it, you know, people are involved, but it all seems fairly tangential to some of the books, etc. You know, as you said, in Birds of Prey, it makes no difference, really. So, um, for that reason, I want to give the Adventiness a five. What about you, Chad? Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, I'd say I, the five is where I was going to go with it, too. Uh, the, it doesn't really have any cohesion. Um, the pieces of the story don't really flow into one another. I almost feel like what you should, it maybe would be a better read. I don't know if you just take out every bit of the firestorm pieces, every bit of the Martian Manhunter, just all these pieces and put them into their own individual stories. And then just almost like the CW crossovers, we're going to have, the first part of this season, all about the Green Arrow story and, the, and, and so on and so forth. And then over here in this trade, we're going to have where they all come together for the end of the story. Um, because none of these really flow into one another. The only cohesion you really get is those rare instances where, like, you know, Dead Man says, hey, I'm going to go find the lanterns because, you know, I'm wearing a ring. Maybe they can help me. And he just happens to pop in right in underwater in front of Aquaman. So it's just like this, there's, there's, there's even randomality to the, the, the interactions he has with other people in this story. Um, so there's, there's really no, some, uh, sinking between all these stories that are, you, you, you kept out, uh, Jade and Captain Boomerang and Osiris and the Maxwell Lord stuff, Reverse Flash, and decided in this main series to focus on this core group of characters. But there's, even within this main series you decided to focus on, there's no cohesion in any of that either. Yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with you at five. Okay. Uh, where do you feel the writing sits? Uh, I would score the writing a little higher. I'm gonna say, I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say seven. I'm going to say seven because like I said, I feel, uh, the characterization really pulls through on some of my favorite parts and the, the, as they, they have 24, 25 issues of this main series to really kind of, uh, do something with dead man and, and firestorm. They build this relationship, uh, up between Jason and, um, and Ronnie, Starting with with hatred, uh, Ronnie just sort of you know living life like a college kid and and kind of shirking responsibility to them coming together in the end. Uh, Dead man struggles with with learning to be alive again. Um, John trying to balance his love of uh, Mars and and Earth and kind of the, his discovery of of life again and and what it means. Um, Hawkman and Hawkgirl's passion for one another really kind of climbs through. Uh, Aquaman and Mera, that's always uh, a good story to read. There's some revelations that happen with her in there that she was originally sent here to kill him. Um, and that, as, as beautifully as, as the Aquaman stuff is drawn, uh, that, that particular portion of it, rereading it fell flat. I remember it being sort of a big reveal at the time, but fell flat on the second read through, just, didn't have an impact because he was just like, oh, Mara, yeah, that's fine. 
I, I understand. I, I trust you. We've been together for years. It was almost like a non-issue. Um, but they did in, in it, the eventiness being so middle of the road with what they had, they did some stuff to really capture the characterization of these individuals. So I have to score it a little higher. Yeah. I'm going just a smidge under use with a six because I, I mean, I feel like this book doesn't end. It doesn't have a satisfactory ending. It's really just a case of, and here's Swamp Thing, and now there's another miniseries we've got to do. And, you know, it, particularly with the, you know, Flashpoint happening at the same time and knowing the New 52 was coming, it was really um, event after event after event, and they knew this one wasn't really going to land as far as impact. So, you know, they very half hearted at the end, and I think that's the biggest sin of the book is it just you know it it stops rather than you know ties everything up and concludes um and yeah i, I mean as much as i really like um generation lost you know, it, it is off to the side so for that reason i'm going to give it a six uh whereas the art and covers i can happily say that the art is fantastic throughout this i mean it's terrific art isn't it so um i'm going to give that an eight what about you chad I'm going to give that a nine. Um, some of the, yeah, some of my favorite covers and interiors come out of this series. Um, this is one of the first series I made it a point to buy several of the different variants that came out, uh, for it. There's one variant, I think of issue like three that has dead man flying into the face of the anti monitor. Um, and you know, the other things like that, that I think are just really incredibly well done. So, uh, art, Art for me in this story is is one of the highlights, so I definitely have to say nine. No, yeah, yeah, that's true. Uh, now, Impact and Legacy, what do you think about that? Impact and Legacy, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a seven. Um, the only reason I'm gonna give it a seven is because of the Green Lantern side of the thing, which has nothing to do with the main series. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna score it as high as I normally would just because of that, because we're focused here on these 25 issues. Uh, as you said, uh, and as we've both said at this point, because of uh, Flashpoint and the New 52, nothing really carries over anymore other than the fact that, oh, uh, the Aquaman portions were successful. Let's have an Aquaman series uh, and the Hawk and, uh, Hawk and Dove and Dead Man stuff. Um, nothing really continued on other than the Green Lantern aspects, but you could almost make the case that the Green Lantern aspects, like the lead up to the uh, War of the Green Lanterns, the fact that uh, Hal and company have to go hunt down all of the entities that Krona gets involved and all that. You could almost make the case that that is more of a thing as a result of Blackest Night than Brightest Day. Um, the only entity you get in Brightest Day is the Predator uh, with Carol Ferris on Xamron with, uh, with uh, Hawkman and Hawkgirl. So, yeah, that's, I, I'd have to score it uh, at least a little higher for Impact and Legacy because there's some portions of the overarching story that did have some uh, major implications down the line, but from the main series itself, really nothing. Yeah. Um, okay, yeah, I, I hadn't really factored in the Green Lantern stuff. Uh, my score, I'm going to give it a four because I feel like, you know, it's sort of... Um, it ran through a sieve at the end. <laughs> like, it had all these things that were set up and only a few of them trickled through and then they trickled through in sort of unexpected and sort of distorted ways. Like, um, yeah, Swamp Thing is probably one of the strongest bits of legacy from this because, you know, uh, Scott Snyder really runs with... This is um, the version of Swamp Thing, which is really Alec Holland in the form of a plant, not a plant that thinks it's Alec Holland, as you were talking about, so... Yeah. And that was a really strong relaunch. But yeah, it, nothing... It could have happened without it. Uh, nothing really 
directly tied in really strongly. I mean, the Aquaman relaunch could have happened exactly the same. In fact, it doesn't pick up some of the stuff uh, that was set up in Brightest Day. So, yeah, I, I'm going to give it a four. So uh, that's you, know, you know what? Uh, yeah, I'm, I might have to agree with you. I, I, I'm, I'm being, I'm being a little. Let me re, let me revise my score to a five on that because what? Yeah, I'm going to have to because I, I'm being, I'm, I, I'm realizing I'm being too. I'm being too uh, too lantern heavy and and too too type here because if we're focusing just <laughs> on these these 25, y- you're right. It has to be it has to be lower at, at a five. Huh, a five. Okay. I didn't mean to impact. I mean, you can be as lantern centric as you like. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm I, I am with you. This this went nowhere, honestly speaking, in terms of the issues I'm holding here in my hands right now. Right. Uh, and ev- everything that I'm scoring it higher, I was scoring it higher for. You're right. Could have happened without this. So, um, you know, there's there's stuff that happens in the Lantern series as a result of the White Lantern, like Kyle Rayner becomes a White Lantern uh, and things like that that leads into a new Guardian series in the new 52 that I really ended up enjoying. There's some stuff with Guy Gardner in the Emerald Warrior series and his team up with Atrocitus that sort of leads to cool things that happen in the Red Lantern series later, much later on. But again, all of that could have happened without Brightest Day. So... Yeah, uh, yeah, you're you're right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are not doing this alone. I've got uh, Mike Garvey with his thoughts about Brightest Day. He read along with us, and uh, he's we're going to hear them now. Hey guys, it's Mike Garvey here checking in with my semi OCD contribution for Brightest Day. And yeah, okay. So this is a sequel to Blackest Night. Uh, when I read this storyline back in the day, I I. Pretty sure I enjoyed it back then, but rereading it, not so much. Uh, I won't go into all the plot details because I'm sure Paul and Chad will have covered all the details by now. But yes, we have 12 characters back from the dead sent on strange, mysterious quests to um, find the new protector of Earth, basically. And it's a bit of a mess. Uh, The Saving Grace is the art and covers. It's a fantastic looking book and series, uh, but the writing itself is a little bit all over the place, and the pacing isn't great until it gets later in the series, and it's a frustrating read for me, or it was for me, Um, especially when you have characters that are introduced at the start of the storyline, but then you don't see again until you go and track down different books, which I know will happen in a crossover, but it's a bit frustrating. So... You know, we see Captain Boomerang, Jade, Osiris, and Maxwell Lord at the start of the series. We don't really see them again at all, unless you go and track down the books that are out at the same time for The Flash, the JLA or JSA, the Titans, and Justice League Generation Lost. Which I didn't. I stuck to the main series, so my point of view is covering issues 0 to 24 of the main series of Brightest Day. So, yeah, it's... It's an interesting concept, but I don't think it was executed very well. And overall, it was frustrating to read. And then, (laughs) to top it all off, it goes along and then it's pretty much all forgotten about by then because the very next month, after Brightest Day wraps up, we have Flashpoint come along. So you're kind of like, really? What was it all for? Uh, I guess the cool thing for me was seeing Swamp Thing come back as uh, the protector of Earth at the end. That was nice. But again, it's all wiped out by Flashpoint coming along the very next month. So 
Overall, I didn't enjoy this much at all. It was frustrating and a bit of a slog to get through. It's a good looking book, um, but as far as required reading for a sequel, I would say skip it entirely. It doesn't matter that much. Blackest Night is a far better storyline out of the, the two, if they're meant to be read, you know, one after the other. So, yeah. And it's mainly focusing, once again, in the Green Lantern corner of the DCU. So while it shows all these actions going on, it's, you know, unless you're a big Green Lantern fan, uh, yeah, you can skip this one entirely, I would say. So, unfortunately, yeah, not a big fan of this one. As much as I loved Blackest Night, this one is kind of a letdown. So, that leads me to my scores, which I am giving writing a 6, art and covers an 8, impact and legacy 1, mainly thanks to Flashpoint, and eventiness 5, again, to Flashpoint. Um, yeah, it's it's not a great read. <laughs> it's it's okay. The I, I think it probably could have been halved in terms of the length that went on but yeah um anyway enjoy the rest of the show thanks for that mike so yeah we we're gonna get mike's score which is 10 so i'm adding up your score chad which brings us uh 26 with your revised impact and legacy and i am coming in at 23 so let's do the math on this which is the worst part of the show for me so uh mike score halved comes down to 10 so we have 26 23 and 10 59 59 so um above 50 so above you know it's in the top half of the scores uh let's look at where this falls on the ladder so i'm going over to waitingfordoom.com where we have the dcocd ladder and oh okay it is just above just uh young justice sins of youth and a few points below armageddon 2001 at 59 so armageddon 2001 got 64 and uh, sins of youth got 58 so yeah just in between those two which makes it uh 20 no 22nd 22nd on our list of 32 yeah I, I could see it uh mostly because i think i think maybe the the big point of this is is something we didn't mention other than very briefly. All of these characters are back. You have Arthur Curry, you have John Jones, you have Ronnie Raymond, you have Hawkman and, and classic Hawk Girl. So having these characters just back and, you know, I mean, like if, for instance, if you were to have Ralph and Sue Dibney in this, like if they were part of the 12 that were resurrected, you know, people would be picking up at least the first couple of issues of the series just to read Ralph and Sue in the DCU again. So yeah. there had to, you know, there, there's some passion behind this series proper just to read these characters again. Yeah. Anyway, it, it yeah, it, it's a thing that happened. <laughs> I mean, I, I just think it's like, uh, you know, the alternate version of uh, 52 that isn't as good. But, uh, yeah, anyway, uh, now let's see if we got any feedback. So uh, last time we were talking about New Krypton. So I'm just going to go over to www.wendingfordoom.com. Oh, really? Yeah. I, uh, I, I, love, I love the New Krypton stuff. I don't, I, I'm not sure how you guys scored it, but I, 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 I bought everything involving that story all the way up to War of the Superman. <laughs> ah, yeah. Yeah, no, there was a lot of it. Um, yeah, that was our previous episode. And so Jimmy McGlinchey chimed in on that, and he said, the bringing together the two greatest minds in Superman Supergirl fandom has really elevated this episode. Kudos to Michael and Dr. Ange for bringing their expertise and insight into this event. 
to be honest, this event was very hit and miss for me. My comic book shop at the time was having issues getting some of the earlier parts of the storyline, like the new Krypton special or the aftermath to the Brainiac storyline, which meant that I was missing a, a bit of it where stories were referencing before. At the time, the new Krypton storyline felt too long and confusing. Listening to your discussion, however, makes me want to give this another try. Looking forward to the Brightest Day coverage and hope there are still a few more events for DCOCD to discuss in the future. Well, here's the Brightest Day events uh, coverage, and yeah, there's definitely more events to discuss in the future. We're not going to run out. Um, we also heard from Tim Price, and he said, Who boy, this was a challenge. And if, if an event is new to me, I've tried to read it before listening to the show, and I hadn't read New Krypton. When Paul gave me suggestions of how many issues to read, I didn't take it well. But once I started, the stories were just too good. This was an effect, fantastic event, and I wouldn't have stepped away from Superman years beforehand knowing this. So thanks again, Paul. I couldn't have finished it without you. And of course, the show is fantastic. Michael and Ant together are a real treat. You are all more than fair in the scoring, and the discussion was a delight. Honestly, the show could have gone much longer considering the amount of material to cover, and I wouldn't have minded one bit. Well done. And then um, Tim points out a discrepancy in the way we scored, so I, I did something inconsistent with the scoring, because I usually add up all the scores of the semi and then round it down, and this time I did it for each one individually. So, yeah, uh, point taken, Tim, and I won't do that again, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, then he says, so I think I'll take a little break from DC events too, especially since I finished all of New Krypton. What? War of the Superman? Son of a... <laughs> yeah. So... If you want to leave feedback about this show, uh, go to over to waitingfordoom.com and uh, you can find the post for this show. You can see the scores there on the ladder um, and you can tell us what you think. And um, you can also get in touch with uh, us at DCOCDcast on Twitter. And we also have DCOCDcast at gmail.com um, and, of course, waitingfordoom.com. Check that out. Um, Chad, where can people find you if they want to hear your stuff? Yeah, uh, main thing is the Lantern Cast, which is a podcast, surprise, surprise, all about Green Lantern. Uh, that's available anywhere you find podcasts. Uh, we release weekly, usually on Fridays. Uh, also, uh, before the end of the year, I, uh, I am planning on putting out another, at least one episode of uh, my other shows, which is the Action Comics Weekly Podcast, as well as uh, a new show I had started up called Creative Credit, where I actually do personal one-on-one interviews with creators in the comic book uh, industry. Um, I was really into that really loving that but for multiple reasons i'm not going to get into we don't have time for uh i had to step away from all my other ventures and just focus on the one thing which was the lantern cast but yeah uh we are we're coming up on uh the year 2020 which is going to be green lantern's uh 80th uh 80th anniversary and with the uh, hbo max tv series in the works and grant morrison on the title we, there's a lot to be discussed so uh it's going to be a good year for uh, green lantern coming up that sounds so X-rated, HBO Max, Greenland. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, uh, I think the, the quote from Greg Berlanti uh, was something along the lines of, in what promises to be our biggest DC show ever made. Ooh. And I believe, believe the budget is supposed to be $100 million. Wow. Yeah, oh, I could believe it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm hoping we'll finally see Guy Gardner on the big screen. <laughs> want to make something of it (laughs) (laughs) yeah well thanks very much for coming on board for this chat and thanks mike for your semi-ocd contributions um so next time on we've got i think waiting for doom we're looking at um it might be time to get back oh i don't know we're all over the shop with waiting for doom it's either going to be amalgam or some giffen clark uh, doom patrol um and the next 
DCOCD will be Flashpoint. Ooh, so yeah, getting towards uh, the pointy end of DC. Yeah, uh, actually, just uh, speaking of Doom Patrol, I actually just purchased the uh, first season on Blu-ray. I haven't yet watched it, but uh, I'll be I'll be reaching out to you via Twitter or live tweeting or something when I uh, when I have my own thoughts. But uh, I don't I don't have the I don't have the app, so I haven't seen it yet. Oh well, I'm jealous because we don't have uh, the Blu-ray in Australia yet. So oh well, it's uh it it was cool. It was cheap. It was like twenty bucks. Oh nice, lovely. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Thanks, Chad. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. And we'll be back with another event soon. Bye. Makes you laugh and makes you sing.